I got added to the Muslim watch list. I lived in America for a decade, but because I was born in a Muslim country, I was added to a watch list. And I had to report to the government every 28 days for fingerprinting and for a mugshot. It was like living on parole. And so I had to leave America because I'm like, screw that. I love America and I'm running an American company, but I cannot live like I'm a freaking criminal because I was born in a Muslim country. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. What you're about to listen to next is what I call a reverse podcast. And this is how a reverse podcast works. Every now and then, I got invited to get on major podcasts around the world to share my brain as Vishen Lakhiani, as the author of The Buddha and the Badass or The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And I get permission from these other major podcasts to release those insights here to you, our Mind Valley fans and listeners. So in this reverse podcast, Sean Stevenson interviews me on The Buddha and the Badass. And we're going to be talking about, and again, all right, I just want to say that what you're about to hear may be a little bit controversial. Because we go deep into not just personal growth, altered states and transformation, but how we need to show up as world citizens to have a bigger say in the future of our countries and especially in who we vote for. So, you know, I love you guys. You may not agree with some of these views, but I think it's an important discussion to have. And so I'm going to push some buttons with respect because I believe these are conversations we have to have. So here's the reverse podcast where Sean Stevenson, host of the Model Health Show, interviews me on the Buddha and the Badass. For his second appearance on the Model Health Show, our special guest today is Vishen Lakhiani. He's the founder and CEO of Mind Valley, the world's leading online personal growth education company. He just became a two-time New York Times bestselling author with his most recent book, The Buddha and the Badass. And it became an instant bestseller, debuting on the New York Times and hit number one on the Wall Street Journal's business books list. And is poised to be an incredible treatise for how we can change the way that we are working. Vision has created an incredible movement, an incredible platform, including over 15 million growth-minded individuals from 195 countries and half a million students completing Mind Valley courses each and every year. Vision believes in work-life integration, which is reflective in the company culture that he created at Mind Valley. In fact, the company was recognized as one of the top 10 coolest offices in the world in 2019. And Vision's goal is for Mind Valley to reach 100 national schooling systems and every company in the Fortune 500 over the next decade. And I believe that he is well on his way and he has some incredible insights and advice for us today. And talking about, again, thinking outside of the kind of common paradigm and being able to shift and upgrade ourselves, upgrade our identity and who we believe ourselves to be and what we're capable of. And it's such an important conversation. And he's also dipping into right now the importance of taking a stand. And he's talking about something that he believes in as far as policies and some things that, you know, he had some triggering events that helped him to think the way that he does. So we want to open a space and have compassion for him sharing that today as well. And understanding also that we can align ourselves with each other, 
on certain things and we can disagree on certain things. But the important thing is for us to come together and to have conversations and to have, as we're going to talk about, little idea babies that can take place, especially when we're coming from opposite sides of the fence to come together right now because it's needed more than ever. You know, we're, we're moving into a new paradigm, but the old paradigm must dissolve for us to create something new and better. But there are parts of ourselves, there are parts of people in our community that are gripping on, holding on for dear life, the old ways, the old paradigm, when there's so much opportunity to create something better. But we have to shift the way that we think. And so let's jump into this conversation with the incredible Vishen Makiani. Vishen, my man, welcome back to the show. John, it's so good to be here. I love being on your podcast because, it, firstly, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. So being a guest on this podcast is a true honor. That means everything, man. Thank you so much. And so I just wrapped up reading the final chapter of your new book, The Buddha and the Badass. Got it right here. Such an incredible book. So important for this time and thinking differently. And first thing I want to ask you about, man, is what inspired you to write this book in the first place? So a couple of things. Now, my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, was about the human mind. And when I wrote that book, you know, it didn't really sell that well. And I thought, okay, this is the last book I'm ever going to write. And then something strange happened. About a year or so after the book was published, it suddenly started rising to the top and it became the number one book on Amazon. It literally became the number one book on Amazon. One day I was on my computer and at that point I'd given up looking at my Amazon rankings, right? But I had this strange intuitive feeling, check your Amazon rankings. And I'm like, that's weird. I hate looking at my rankings because I was disappointed by how my book did. But that day I decided to check and I thought Amazon was broken because it said, this book is the number two most popular book on Amazon, like not in its category, in all of Amazon. So I went to the Amazon author dashboard where you can see your sales. And I looked and the day before, September 17, 2017, the book was number one in the world. Briefly, I became the number two best-selling author in the world. I remember Hillary Clinton was number three. Tolkien was number four. And it was just mind-blowing. So I decided, okay, I'm not a failure as a writer. I should write another book. And now my first book was The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. It was on personal growth. I thought my second book is going to be on company culture. Now, I started writing that second book. I got a big offer from Penguin, my publisher, super appreciative to them. And sometime last year, I had another intuitive impulse. So if you know anything about me, I'm a guy who lives on intuition. Sometime last year, I was halfway done with a book that was going to be called Discipline. And it was about happiness in the workplace. It was about company culture. And I had this intuitive feeling that if I went and wrote the book I was paid to write, it was not going to work. So I decided I'm going to scrap it and I'm going to just start fresh. I remember I was in Brazil. I was attending a music festival in Brazil. And I decided, screw it. I'm just rewriting the book. I'm starting fresh. I'm going to write a different book, a better book. And I didn't know that the pandemic was going to hit. And my book was scheduled to come out in May of this year. And if I had written the original book, it would have been a failure because nobody cared about office culture. No one was going to the office. But the book I wrote, The Buddha and the Badass, is about how suffering makes us stronger. It's about how to unify two disparate parts of our being, the inner Buddha and the badass, that inner 
being, that inner archetype that wants to go out and change the world. It turned out it was the perfect book for the pandemic because it showed people how to be adaptable, how to deal with suffering, how to deal with life when your badass plans of changing the world, someone throws a wrench in them. And you got to tap into the inner Buddha to navigate through that chaos. And the book hit number one on the Wall Street Journal and the reviews have been amazing. Five-star reviews on Amazon. And I got a call from my publisher saying they were blown away by the reviews for this book. And so now I got offered a third and a fourth book. And I guess I'm probably going to be a prolific writer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, such an awesome story. That's incredibly profound. And I'm so glad that you talk about this because I think that it's so overlooked because we're looking for the very tangible things, you know, and again, me being very science-minded, I'm looking for those reasonings to quote, trust my gut and to listen to that intuition. But we all have it. It's just, you know, we're looking for data to try to prove it, you know, and I remember hearing the statement that intuition is advanced pattern recognition. And that really spoke to me as an inroads. And recently I did a, a talk for an event and this was a mutual friend of ours, Dave Asprey. And it was, you know, this their big conference that they do every year. And I had this presentation all set, ready to go. It was great. But literally the night before, I had this urge, this deep urge within to do something totally different. And so I scrapped the presentation, created a new one. And, and this is not from my distinction or my feedback, but it ended up being from the feedback of the the attendees, the best talk of the event and the most gripping and the most visceral because I went with my gut and what was needed in that moment with that audience who were hearing all of these things about, you know, we got this thing and that thing to help you to live to be 180 years old, 200 years old and still getting your groove on. But there was something else that was needed. And that message is what I put together. And so if I didn't listen to that intuition, it wouldn't have created so much value within the construct of that event. So for me, when I heard the definition of intuition being advanced pattern recognition, that gave me a little bit more of an inroads to be, it's kind of like I can see, like I've seen something similar to this, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've seen it in the quote, real world either. Right. You know what I mean? And so within the context of the book, you're kind of blending that together, the real tangibility of the work, right. the ideas of work with that intuitive importance. But one of the most powerful things that I wanna ask you about right now is you also highlight our broken education system. Yeah. And this is something else that I talk a lot about. And can you talk a little bit about that, why you brought that up and some of the big messages that you're sharing? Okay, so firstly, firstly, your followers are avid biohackers, okay? Now, I disagree with you, Sean. Intuition is not just advanced pattern recognition. Intuition is something beyond just our brain. I believe that our thinking, our faculties of cognition do not just stop with gray matter. It extends beyond us. And we don't fully understand how it works, but we know that human beings are able to perceive information outside just what is coming in through sensory input. It's more than just pattern recognition. For example, there was a famous test at the University of Edinburgh called the Gansfield Test Experiments. So they would take people and they would put people in sensory deprivation chambers. So these were, and I'm sure you've heard of a sensory deprivation chamber. It's it's very popular. Dave Asprey has one at his biohacking facility in Santa Monica, Upgrade Labs. And so you sit in this chamber and there's no sound, there's no light, you're super relaxed. 
and you are a receiver. Now there's a sender, another fellow human being in a separate room, and that sender is shown one of four pictures, okay, on a giant monitor. The picture could be horses running through water. It could be a picture of destruction in World War II. It could be the London Bridge. It could be the jungles of Thailand. Now the receiver is told to transmit that picture to the sender, and the sender is then woken up from his sensory deprivation chamber, where he's in a relaxed state called the alpha or theta level of mind. More on that later. It's altered states, and the sender is shown four pictures and said, "Which picture do you think?" We showed the receiver. Okay, now, math probability-wise, what do you think were the odds of the senders guessing the correct picture?、Mm. Maybe four pictures. They had four pictures, so they had to guess. So twenty-five percent, exactly. But in actuality, it was thirty-three percent over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of test subjects. Thirty-three percent. Now, thirty-three percent. Defies the laws of probability. Thirty-three percent means that the odds of intuition being real are about a billion to one in favor of intuition. But notice they were not correct eighty or ninety percent. So when people say, "Oh, intuition isn't real," they think that intuition means you have to be correct eighty or ninety percent. That's not the case. Intuition is a tiny correction. In this case, it was twenty-five to thirty-three. That's A bonus eight percent, but think about it. If you were picking stocks, if you were starting a company, if you were ideating a new product, if you could increase your accuracy by those extra percentage points, that's a huge advantage. Now, just in this opening dialogue, I shared two instances of intuition. I had a gut feeling to check my Amazon rankings, and boom, the book had become the number one book in the world. A few years later, I had a gut feeling to change a book. I literally put in hundreds of hours writing a book, and I decided to scrap my work because I had this gut feeling that it was going to be a failure. I didn't know that the pandemic was going to hit. I rewrote a new book, which became number one in the Wall Street Journal. That is intuition. Now, we don't learn that because the education system is messed up and broken. I want to bring up a quote for you. This is by Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber is America's most prominent philosopher. He has an IQ of 175. He's the founder of Integral Theory. He's been quoted by President Bill Clinton. He's been quoted by Kermit the Frog. His ideas have been used in politics, government, science, technology, philosophy. He is America's most widely translated philosopher. Now, this is what Ken told me in an interview I did with him, much like you're doing an interview with me right now. He said. Humanity is flying way under its full potential simply because we do not educate for the whole of complete human being. We educate just a small part, a slice, a fragment of just what's possible for us. Because according to the great wisdom traditions around the world, not only do humans possess typical states of consciousness like waking, dreaming, deep sleep, they also possess profound high states of consciousness like enlightenment or awakening. And none of the education systems teach any of these. Now, all of these factors I've mentioned, none of these are rare, isolated, esoteric, far out, strange, or occult. They are all some of the very most basic and most fundamental potentials of human beings everywhere. They are simply human 101. Yet we don't educate human 101. We educate something like human one tenth. So yes, I firmly believe. That we can bring about health on this planet for the planet and for all humans on it, 
if we started educating for the whole person with all their fundamental potentials and capacities and skills and stopped this fragmented, partial, broken system we have right now. Now, what is Ken talking about? He's talking about altered states of consciousness. Altered states of consciousness are when you go into these different realms, alpha, theta, delta, gamma. Altered states of consciousness is what Nikola Tesla tapped into when he ideated his inventions. It is what Thomas Edison did when he came up with 2,300 patents. It's what many CEOs in Silicon Valley are doing right now behind the curtain. One CEO told me, any CEO, and, and by the way, the guy whose quote I'm about to share, he built a $600 million in sales company, okay? This is John Butcher, founder of Precious Moments. He's an American CEO, started seven companies. He said this, any CEO who is not using plant medicine is at a competitive disadvantage. Now, what is going on? What's going on with the, the Gansfield test experiments when you're in a sensory deprivation chamber? What's going on when you're using plant medicine? You're accessing altered states exactly like what Ken Wilber is talking about, yet we don't teach it. And so people think it's rubbish. We were talking about Dave Asprey, a mutual friend. I love Dave. Dave and I train at Dave's 40 years of Zen Meditation Institute, which uses cutting edge technology to put you in altered states. Today, that's public. Everybody knows about 40 years of Zen. But in 2016, when I got on Dave's podcast and I spoke about intuition, it caused a controversy. People literally went to my Amazon page and slammed my book without reading it, giving it one star, because I dare speak about intuition. In 2017, Dave came out and he's like, dude, I meditate with vision. Vision comes to 40 years of Zen, which is my training institute. We use some of the world's most cutting edge neurofeedback to teach people how to get to altered states. Dave believes in intuition. That's how we became freaking Dave Asprey. What I'm trying to do, Sean, is to stop this bullshit division that says that intuition isn't real. Mark my words, it's your children 10 years from now will be learning intuition in school. Companies will be teaching intuition. This year, Mindvalley launched multiple programs. Our number one program in history, which was launched in May this year, was a program on tapping into altered states for intuition. It's so, incredible. It's not patent recognition. Just because we cannot understand something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Perfect. I was literally about to say that same statement. That's so powerful, so true. And what's so remarkable is that we have some data for those data-driven people to see like, wow, this is something interesting. We need to look into this more and not neglect that it exists. And so, as you mentioned with the education system itself, and I wanna talk about this because right now, even right upstairs, my son is on a Zoom call trying to connect with his fellow classmates and his teachers, the world is very different now. And even within that construct, for most students, we're still being taught the same kind of rote memorization of facts and figures and not really how to thrive as a human being. And that's what you're talking about because one of the things that we were taught, both of us were taught is, you learn these basics, you get into a job, you work really hard, and someday it'll pay off. But in the book itself, you talk about the myth of hard work. So can you talk a little bit about that? Why'd you have a section on that? Right, right, right. Okay, so American philosophy of work says that it's all about hard work, hard work, the hustle. 
is what is going to make you successful. The hustle is what is going to make your entrepreneurship dreams come true. The hustle is the answer to everything. No, it isn't. And it's the reason, it's part of the reason why there are so many people who fail at business. It's part of the reason why American lifespans are falling. Americans die two years younger than their Western European counterparts. That's bad. It's because the hustle causes high degrees of stress. It causes high degrees of cortisol release in your body. It causes high degrees of neuroepinephrine, which prevent your ability to truly focus and to deal with overwhelm. Now, I just got back from Berlin and I had dinner with a couple, a Canadian and American couple, right? So these two men, they were talking about the differences. I asked them, what are the differences in work culture between Germans and American Canadians? And they said, you know, what's really strange about Germans? They take a lot of vacation. They end their work life on time. They go home, they spend time with their family. They take a lot of vacation. And I don't know how they're productive. But here's the funny thing. If you actually look at worker output and productivity, Germans trump Americans. Germans actually, go Google the data, Germans trump Americans in terms of worker output and productivity. Now, why is this? The thing is, the hustle is a myth. What we need and what I wrote about in my book is a balance between acceleration and navigation. Acceleration is when you go, 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 go. You're moving towards your goals. That's acceleration. Navigation is when you step back. You decide to take a walk in the woods and reflect on why you're truly doing what you're doing. Maybe you go on holiday and you decide to sit by the beach and journal. I came up with the idea of acceleration and navigation because I was on Necker Island with Richard Branson and I observed how he worked. This is a man with 50,000 employees, with over 300 companies. He's a billionaire, one of the most powerful entrepreneurs in the world. Yet there I saw him sitting in a hammock, right? Rocking, writing in a journal. He doesn't even have a smartphone. He literally doesn't have a smartphone. He's not on Slack. He's not going through emails. He's just rocking on a hammock, writing in a journal, thinking. And then he will take a break during the day and go play tennis. And sometimes he'll take a break during the day, just take a walk through his island, or in some extreme cases, swim five freaking kilometers from one island to another island. Backstroke. I did a swim with him. He's like 69 years old. That's the difference between hustle and navigation. Yet, this is a guy who is a visionary. Do you know Richard Branson registered the trademark Virgin Galactic way before private space travel was even a thing? It was like the 1980s when he registered that. He is tapping into something. He's tapping into ideas, into visions. He's tapping into altered states. If you're just accelerating, you are literally functioning in what Stephen Kotler calls a monophasic state of being. You're operating in one state of human existence. But as Ken Wilber spoke about, there are multiple states of human existence. When Branson goes into his relaxation mode, he's operating into what you might call flow or mojo. And that's where his ideas are coming. Now, I asked him, I actually asked him, do you believe in intuition? And he said, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. But in another conversation, he did share something really interesting. A friend of mine asked him, you have 300 business partners. People come to you with ideas all the time. How do you know whom to trust? And what he said was really curious. He said, often within 60 seconds of shaking someone's hand, I know if I should trust them. That is intuition. 
the most remarkable productive people I know, Sean, are not hustlers. They work hard, but to them, hard work means focus. It doesn't mean working, giving up on sleep, giving up on your health, giving up on your family. It means focus, planning, productivity, but within a time frame. And then giving yourself time to recover, to heal, to think, to ideate, to meditate, to work out, to eat healthy. If you aren't doing that, you're operating at a fraction of your potential. If there was one thing I could ensure entrepreneurs understand is that hustle is dangerous. It's bull****. It's wrecking your odds of success. Powerful. I 1,000%. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over 1,000 interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Agree. You know, I think that today a lot of us are looking for, like, if I could just get the blueprint, I need to get Vision's blueprint for success. I need to get Gary V's blueprint for success, Sean's blueprint for success. But you actually talk about something called your soul print. And I thought that that was really right. profound because our ideas of what we should do, what success looks like are usually not coming from us. So can you talk about your concept of soul print? Right. So the soul print is an idea I learned from a Sudanese refugee by the name of Dreamer Starlight. He changed his name. His original name was Amir. So Amir fled the dictatorship of Sudan and uh, sought refugee status in, in Canada. And he now lives in Toronto. He's a brilliant, brilliant writer, brilliant teacher. And he explained to me at one, one day that in my journey as an entrepreneur, I had it wrong. I had created a set of values for my company that came from the democratic process I had learned from Zappos, right? From uh, Tony Sayab Zappos, brilliant leader. But basically it was, I got my then 20 or 25 employees together. I asked them, what does Mind Valley mean to you? Everyone put stuff down in the paper. We collected the paper and we looked at trends and we came up with a list of values, values such as uh, evolve true learning, kick serious ass, delight our customers. Now, all of those were good. But what Amir explained to me is that I was missing something. He said, look, great companies need two types of values. They need the constitution and they need the laws of Congress. The constitution is that foundational value that comes from 
the founder, hence the word foundational. And he said, Vision, what are your values and why on earth are your values not infused in mine value? He said, this democratic process you did is bullshit. He said, no, the democratic process you did is subservient to the foundational values. You first need to understand what are vision's values, infuse that in your company, and then do your democratic process and create like a code of operations or a employee value code. And that's fine, but that's going to change just like the laws of Congress change. But the constitution, you don't touch that. The constitution is the foundation of the country. The foundational values are the values that come from the founders. So he took me through an exercise. It was really interesting. And I wrote about this in chapter one of the Buddha and the Badass. He said, your values come often from your suffering, the biggest pain in your life, and the biggest peaks in your life. And so he took me through an exercise, and I replicate the exercise in the book for anyone who's interested, to discover your pain. And this is a really, really interesting thing. Your pain, your suffering, are often the breadcrumbs to your values. Maybe you were abused as a child, and that put in you the value of compassion and kindness to all. It's really your soul's way of saying, screw that. I went through so much suffering, I will fight so other people don't suffer as much. Maybe your suffering was that you were discriminated because of your race or your gender. And you decide, I will fight against racism. I will fight against misogyny. And you decide that you want to infuse that in your company. You want to create the most diverse company X in the world or a company where you ensure, as Branson did, by the way, that 50% of your managers are women. Your suffering are the breadcrumbs to your values. And so Amir took me through an exercise where I had to relive my past pain, not in a dramatic way, but to remember it and to understand what did I learn from that, that I want to give to the world so other people don't go through that pain. So in my case, one of my values that emerged was unity because I was living in America. And in 2003, I got added to the bullshit Muslim watch list. I lived in America for a decade, but because I was born in a Muslim country, I was added to a watch list and I had to report to the government every 28 days for fingerprinting and for a mugshot. It was like living on parole. And so I had to leave America because I'm like, screw that. I love America and I'm running an American company, but I cannot live like I'm a freaking criminal because I was born in a Muslim country. What the f is that? And you can see it pisses me off. So I had to move back to my home country, Malaysia, build my company, Mind Valley in Malaysia. And Mind Valley is an American company, but it's built in Malaysia. And now I live in Estonia because my, my ex-wife is Estonian. So I live between two countries. But I decided that unity is going to be a value in my company. That unity, that we are going to be one of the most diverse companies of our type. Today, out of our 295 staff members, we have representatives from something like 55 different countries. 55, yes. at our peak, it was 60. We are one of the most diverse companies in the world. When Trump announced the new Muslim ban in 2016, and that was shot down because the founders of Google, the founders of Airbnb all protested, we put up videos saying, hey, look, if you are from Sudan or any of those countries and you can't get to America, we'll hire you. We're an American company. We're in Malaysia. We'll give you a visa. Come join us. We got some really good programs from Iran, from Syria. And so we fight for unity. By the way, Mind Valley does everything it can to steer voters away from Trump because we don't believe in playing by the sidelines. If you are a politician, 
that uses race baiting or disunity to get votes, we will do everything we can as a media company to take away votes. I want a world where no one votes for a freaking racist, where nobody votes for hate mongers. Because very often they lack vision and they're going to screw things up as Trump has done with the COVID crisis. So you can see, I tapped into my pain being on this Muslim watch list, being kicked out of the U.S. And I don't care if you disagree with me. You know, maybe you follow Trump. That's fine. That's your thing. We all have our rights. But in my company, we do everything to make sure that the racist politicians like Trump, Bolsonaro, I want to put them and their policies in the garbage bin of history that is infused in the Mind Valley DNA. So Mind Valley is probably the only personal growth company out there that doesn't stand on the sidelines when it comes to this election. I haven't heard much from Tony Robbins or Deepak Chopra, any of the other spiritual teachers, and that's fine. Everybody makes their choice, but we are extremely vocal politically. Yeah, that's powerful. And to say that that's how it should be for us to stand up and to represent through our businesses as well, that's incredibly remarkable. But here's the point. When we started standing up, when I took my values and I put them in the company, can you guess what happened? Please tell me. First week, people said, screw you. We're not going to buy from you. How dare you insult the American president? His Muslim watch list is legit. Muslim people are dangerous. I will leave Mind Valley. First week. Can you guess what happened after that? Sales went Because all of a sudden, the majority of people, the silent majority that resonated with companies that take a stand, resonated with us. Our sales took off. In a survey of American consumers, 75% of Americans want CEOs and companies to take a stand. If you're following the news, did you read about what happened to Colin Kaepernick today? Are you talking about the Madden video game? Yes, exactly. Right? Colin Kaepernick was ostracized because he kneeled. He kneeled for Black Lives Matter. He's now a freaking hero. When Nike put Colin Kaepernick on their advertisements, guess what happened to Nike's stock? It dropped a little bit for the first week, and then it shot up higher than before. Nike was taking a stand, right? So it's really important that you as an entrepreneur figure out what is that pain? What is that suffering? What value did it give you? And you embed that value in the DNA of your company. That value is your soul print, just like all of us have a fingerprint that is unique. We all have a unique set of patterns in our soul, but most of us fail to express that. But when you as an entrepreneur inject that in your company, magic happens. The greatest companies out there are companies infused with the soul of their founding team. Yeah. And injecting ourselves, our personalities, our values into our business and into our lives is more important than ever. But we're going to come up against resistance, Vision. Right. And you talk about mastering un with ability. And I think that a lot of people aren't taking action. They aren't speaking up. They aren't taking a stand because they're worried about what other people think instead of what the exactly. right people think. Look, 30% of your audience probably hate me right now because I just made a political statement, Right. But that is the art of being unwithable. Martin Luther King was unwithable. Gandhi was unwithable. They were not afraid to make statements that would bring them enemies because they knew that their statements were elevating human beings to new, higher levels of thinking. Do you know what the definition of leadership is, Sean? The best definition I've ever heard? Please share. It's by Tim Urban, who wrote the blog Wait But Why. Leaders 
leaders articulate what is going on in the back of people's heads that people are afraid to say because they are afraid that they won't fit in. And they articulate that first. And when they articulate that, they give hidden beliefs a voice. And that's when people follow them. When Bill Clinton was asked, did you smoke marijuana? He said, yeah, yeah, but I didn't inhale. Because back then in the late 90s, you couldn't admit that you inhaled marijuana when you smoked the joint. But when Obama was asked the same question in 2007, did you inhale? He said, yes, that's the point. (laughs) Because Obama, the world had changed. It was now becoming more publicly acceptable. Obama gave a voice and instantly he made it legit. In the subsequent years, 30 American states legalized marijuana. It's now something that, you know, is just normalized. So leaders give people a voice, but to be a leader, you got to be afraid to say things that will rub some people the wrong way. So unfuckability is basically this. It is the idea that other people's criticism of you or other people's praise of you don't matter. You live life based on how you want to express your beliefs. But while you want to be unfuckable, you want to make sure that you're consciously unfuckable. You don't want to be a bully. You don't want to be moving humanity towards dumb ideas. President Trump is also unfuckable. He doesn't care. Like he just says whatever he wants. But if you actually study integral theory, if you actually study human evolution parts like spiral dynamics, Trump is actually moving consciousness backwards to 1950s level thinking. So you need to know enough about human development. I mean, you, in a nutshell, you need to know this. Let me just bring up this particular chart. It's, it's beautifully, it's fascinating. This is a very classic spiral dynamics chart in integral theory. You may not be able to make out what's going on over here, but I'll give you a quick summary. They are different models of how consciousness grows. One of the most powerful models of how consciousness grows is that we as human beings evolve from egocentric, which is me, 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 me. So hunter-gatherer 20,000 years ago, if you saw a deer and you're about to kill the deer and another hunter comes, you're going to fight that other hunter for the deer. You may kill the deer, then kill that other hunter because you need that deer meat for yourself. Egocentric. It's about survival of you and your family. As human beings evolved, we became ethnocentric. Now it's about survival of us as a tribe. Okay, ethnocentrism was expressed best in World War II when Germany decided that they were going to just wipe out the Polish population and take over Poland. When the Soviets decided that, you know, that they're just going to invade other countries and send people to the gulags and Russianize those countries, that's ethnocentrism. You are kind, you're compassionate, but to your people, people who are not your people, well, they deserve to die. Or at worst, their lives don't matter. So ethnocentrism rears its ugly head in politics today. According to Ken Wilber, 70% of the population is ethnocentric. So when you are expressing your innermost thoughts, you want to make sure that you're not bringing people to ethnocentrism, that you're going to a level above, which is world centrism. World centrism is where you're kind and compassionate, but to all people. In other words, Sean, you would fight for the lives of a Venezuelan who was starving the same way you would for someone in your own country. You would help someone or befriend someone, whether they were Muslim or Christian. Their religion doesn't matter. And so we want to move the world towards world centrism. That's 30% of the current population. Now, being unfuckable is important, but you want to ensure that the leaders you're choosing and that the voices you're amplifying 
are moving people upwards towards world centrism. I gave the example earlier of a Sudanese refugee, Dreamer Starlight, and how he changed my life. Brilliant guy. Most refugees are actually highly accomplished, highly educated, but Trump cut the number of refugees allowed in America. Dreamer is in Canada, a country that is more world-centric than America. So you want to elevate to the higher levels of the diagram. I'm giving you a simplified version, as you can see in the diagram below. It's actually pretty complex, but you want to make sure that the ideas that you're articulating are moving people towards greater and greater levels of inclusion, love, compassion. And you want to be unfuckable about it. You want to speak up for refugees. You want to speak up for Black Lives Matter. You want to speak up for tolerance. That's really important in the world today. And that's why unfuckability is, is an idea I so resonate. Love it. I'm taking notes myself. And by the way, guys, if you're not watching this on the YouTube version, make sure to pop over and check it out and you can see all the cool graphics. He's got some awesome technology he's utilizing today. So part of that was going from the individual to the group. And within the construct of the group, especially when you have rich associations and a desire to work together, you actually create some magic, right? And you talk about this in the book as well of what you call the unified brain. Right. And this topic of idea sex, I think was super poignant. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so what I try to do in The Buddha and the Badass is I try to bring in radical concepts of how to redefine how we work. And many of these concepts have a Buddha element or a spiritual element, but they haven't gone mainstream yet because people are still afraid of them or we haven't been educated to embrace them, right? So what I'm trying to do is precisely how I defined leadership earlier. I'm giving a voice to the hidden beliefs. So the Buddha and the badass proposes that intuition is real. It talks about navigation and acceleration. And one of the things it talks about is this concept called Uda looping, which is really interesting. It's basically how you create organizations where everyone is deeply connected. From your first day joining Mind Valley, and you get a Mind Valley email address, basically like you can see a vision for the company, you can see every team's OKRs, you can see the plans for every team, you can jump in and make an edit to the Google Doc for the plan. It's just radical transparency. You get my WhatsApp number and you can WhatsApp me with your ideas. And so new hires like send me ideas all the time. And so that radical transparency is a form of changing the way people traditionally communicate. I don't really use email. I don't do phone calls. Everything I do is in a concept called UDA. And it's actually a concept that comes from a US Air Force Colonel called Colonel Boyd. And it means observe, orient, decide, act. And it's basically moving fast, acting fast on limited information and sharing that information very rapidly with your team. More about it in uh, chapter eight of the Buddha and the Badass. Yes, yes. So can you talk about that idea of brain syncing? And I think it was in that same chapter as well. And also idea sex. What the hell is idea sex? <laughs> so I'll give you an example, okay? So observe, orient, decide, act. What John Boyd noticed is that Air Force pilots that were the most accurate, okay, the Air Force pilots with the best aim actually downed less enemy planes. They would observe they would orient, they would decide, and they would act, but they were doing it too slow. Then there were other pilots who would miss way more often. They would observe, orient, decide, act, 
but they would do that cycle much more rapidly. They would miss more often, but they would down more planes. Now, if you're fighting a war, what do you care about? Downing more enemy planes or wasting more bullets? Downing planes. Downing planes, right? So what Colonel John Boyd said is that it's about how fast you can repeat in decision-making. It's about how fast you can repeat this cycle. Observe, orient, decide, act. Observe, orient, decide, act. Observe, orient, decide, act. So as an entrepreneur and founder, what I seek to do is to make decisions very rapidly, as many as I can, every single day, as fast as I can. And so I got rid of meetings. Most meetings, I got rid of them. We use uh, Airtable. It's a no-coding software tool to make all our company OKRs, objectives, and key results visible to everyone. Everyone orients. And when I get an idea from any team member, it could come in a two-minute voicemail on WhatsApp. I respond with maybe a note or a one-minute voicemail, and we decide and we act. And so things move really, really, really fast. And so we're able to innovate way faster than the competition. In fact, that's the essence of UDA. It allows you to innovate faster than the competition. Now, in UDA, you understand that 90% of your ideas, 80 to 90% of your ideas are going to work. 10 to 20% are going to fail. But you accept failure as a wasted bullet, perfectly acceptable when you're trying to fight a war. And that war might be to get your product or service out, to capture market share, to go ideal, whatever it is for you. Awesome. And so those ideas, like with your team and everybody getting together and rapid fire and throwing things together, is basically like a, right. a, a menage happening with ideas and little idea babies are presented. Right. So I'll give you an example. Today, we were creating printed journals for our Mind Valley All Access customers. So Mind Valley All Access, you can go to mindvalley.com forward slash access, and that's where all of Mind Valley, all the best personal growth programs in the world, are unlocked for you. And we wanted to test out an idea where we were going to give these beautiful journals to all our customers who sign up for Mind Valley All Access. And I got a message today, a voicemail, as I was rushing for this interview, I got a two-minute voicemail from one of my advisors, and he said, Vision. I don't like your idea for the journal. I really want to include a beautiful poster in the journal. And he gave me his idea for the poster. He didn't say, can we get on a call? Because he knows two minutes is all he needs. I replied with a two-minute refinement of the poster, what to put in the poster, a little thing that makes the poster creative. I took both those voicemails, four minutes now. I sent it to my journal design team. They said, thumbs up, great, we're going to do it. That is Uda. Literally in four minutes, in four minutes, a decision was made and it's gone to execution. That sounds unreal, but very possible. Yeah. Now, will the poster work? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe people don't care about getting that little poster with their journal. We don't know, but I'm not going to bother myself with the details. I go on to the next decision. And that's what it's all about, you know, getting those reps in. So, so let me tell you the power of Buddha. One of the things I guess I'm most proud of in my life is that Valley started out as a, as a digital marketing publishing company. And when we started out, we were super tiny. We were like doing maybe $2 million in revenue. Competition was doing $100 million in revenue. In just a matter of five years, we hit $100 million in revenue. The competition was down to $2 million because the world had changed. YouTube, Facebook, they had changed the publishing landscape. Our competition started suffering. They started going bankrupt because they were not innovating enough. We were OODA-looping our way out of a dying industry. And that was how powerful OODA looping was. So with zero VC funding, 
I took a company with zero VC funding, no investors, no bank loans to 100 million in revenue. And OODA looping was part of that strategy. So powerful. And again, all of this is contained within the book. And then in our conversations, you go even outside of the context of the book. And we talk about the importance of and why it's a necessity to upgrade our identity right now. You know, we're all faced with an incredibly challenging time, you know, very different world. A lot of things are in flux. A lot of things are changing. And through this, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to grow, to upgrade our identity, as you talk about. And within that, we have to start to think differently. And one of the things you already mentioned is going to different realms of thinking and of a possibility. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how we can tap into that and why it's so important right now? Got it. So in my book, I call it Identity Upgrading. And, you know, one of the guys I learned this from is our mutual friend, the Reverend Michael Beckwith. So, Sean, you may remember this. You, me, and Michael Beckwith were all in Portugal together, speaking at A-Fest. This was last year in May, back when we could still do seminars. And I remember I was having breakfast with Michael, and Michael Beckwith is the spiritual teacher who has been in the highest number of documentary films out of any living American spiritual teacher, right? The guy is brilliant, so charismatic and so, so wise. And he was in the movie The Secret. And I said, Michael, do you really believe in that law of attraction stuff? And he goes, eh, what's more important is the law of resonance. And I said, tell me about that. And he said, the universe vision doesn't give you what you want. People get that wrong. Rather, the universe will reflect to you who you are. So that was a really powerful insight. Don't focus on the want. Focus on being who you are. So in my book, I took Michael's philosophy and I combined it with a mental repatterning process by two other mind pioneers, Jose Silva and Christine Marie Sheldon. It's called identity upgrading, and it shifts your definition of who you are, shifts your definition of how your health works, how you show up in the world, and you change your identity first. And then it's crazy, but the world starts to reflect this identity to you. And through shifting your identity, you shift the world. So it's a way of embedding statements in your brain that change the way you see yourself. Now, there's some cutting edge scientific research on this. In James Clear's brilliant book, Atomic Habits, he says, look, if you want to get fit, there are three approaches. The first is the outcome approach, lose five pounds. And the outcome approach you know, can work for some people, but usually in most cases, it fails. Because to lose five pounds, you got to make sacrifice. You got to go to the gym. You got to change your eating habits. It's not easy for people. And so people will wake up one day and go, oh, I'm so tired. I could use more sleep. Or oh, this cheesecake looks so good. Just one bite. Now, the second way in a superior way is process. You don't just set an outcome. You decide on a process. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, get a fitness trainer. I'm going to get on diet X. And you find the process and you work that process into your life. Better, better than pure outcome. But very few people will stick to that process. The best way is identity shifting. This is where you take on the identity. I have the fit muscular body of an athlete. When you learn to take on that identity, the cheesecake doesn't tempt you. It's just not what you do. Skipping gym is not even something that you can do because your body, you are an athlete. Your body is an athlete. Athletes just do gym time. So you got to learn to switch that identity. One of the things that make Mind Valley so successful as a personal growth company is that 
all our programs focus on identity shifting. We change your inner state. And then the habits, the practices, the beliefs all come from that. And there's this larger metaphysical thing, which we won't have time to go into, where it seems that the world bends to your new identity. You literally bend reality. Mm. So powerful, man. Vision, there's so many things I want to talk with you about. And I want to make sure that everybody picks up the book. So number one, can you let everybody know where to pick the book up, where to follow you online? Absolutely. The Buddha and the Badass is available on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search for Buddha and the Badass. Awesome. And so what about social media, Mind Valley? How can they keep up with you guys there? Check out Mind Valley. I passionately believe, Sean, Mind Valley is the single greatest product on the planet today that you can spend money on. Mind Valley All Access just gives you, it just completely changes your life. It's just mind blowing what happens. It's like a new type of university for adults that teaches you everything, regular schooling forgot. Mindvalley.com forward slash access. And you can follow me on Instagram at Vision. Awesome. Vision, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance. And thank you for sharing your time with us today. You are one of the true leading voices right now that we need to hear from. So thank you so much for sharing your time and your gift. Yeah. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out, you know, I I love to get feedback. Follow me on Instagram at vision, V-I-S-H-E-N. Just pick up your phone and do that right now and shoot me a message. I love seeing people's feedback. Vision Lakiani, everybody. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this and definitely pick up a copy of The Buddha and the Badass. It's a super important book right now. And the closing thing that he talked about, it's one of the most poignant and important things in our world today, is understanding that for us to truly become the best version of ourselves, this is one of the things you hear out there is becoming the best version of yourself. That comes along with this concept that we don't really like to look at, which is we have to let our old self die. In order for the new to come, we have to let go of the old. And that can feel very, very uncomfortable. And this is a time right now that's forcing us to lean into that discomfort. If we allow it, if we go with it, if we resist it, we're going to find ourselves staying the same. We're going to find ourselves wanting new results, but trying to remain the same person. And change truly does come, long-lasting, continuous change when we shift our identities, when we become the type of person that can have the things that we want to have, when we become the type of person that can have the level of health and fitness that we want to have. Because, and I've said this before, you don't get to health by chasing after it. You attract health and wellness to you by the person that you become. You become the type of person that, fill in the blank, I am the type of person that gets up every morning and goes for a walk. I'm the type of person that eats a certain quality of food and I don't eat other types of foods right? We shift our identity so that that's who we see ourselves as so that the choices become automatic versus infighting with ourselves and having these little family feuds within our own brains, trying to get us to do the right thing, right? And Steve Harvey's right there moderating the whole thing in your head. That's super weird. I know. But that's what really is happening all the time. We're fighting with ourselves to try to do the right thing, to try to stay accountable to the things that we want to achieve. And We're trying to work from basically from the outside in by making ourselves do the activity versus doing that inner work and shifting that identity.
Vishen Lakhiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? Your relationships. How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of a hundred and fifty thousand of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.